Good morning, everyone. You feeling good? You're looking good. I was told by a man, he's about 55 years old, and he said whenever I was younger, people used to uh, say to me, hey, good looking. And he said, now that I'm getting a little bit older, they just say, looking good. <laughs> I said, I understand, I understand. Well, I knew it was going to be a great morning at the beginning of the service today. And you say, Brother David, did God tell you that? Well, not specifically, but both of my partners were here on time, and I knew it was going to be a good morning. <laughs> I, see, uh, I see so many familiar faces. I see the chairman. Good to see you this morning. Bo, thank you so much for opening up the pulpit to an outsider, and I will confess to you guys, I am a politician. I like to introduce myself as an elected official, and you say, David, what's the difference a politician is someone who does politics for a career. An elected official is someone who does, does it to serve. And I'm nothing more than a servant. Now, I will admit to you all this morning, I am not a preacher. I am not a lay pastor. But what I am is a sinner saved by grace. In October of 1999, I was in a parking lot in central uh, Tombs County, of all places, that's a, I'm chairman of the Board of Commissioners for Tombs County now. And in the middle of that county, in a parking lot at a Church of God, on a Tuesday night, uh, I asked the Lord to come into my heart. And I said, from this day forward, I realize I'm, I will fail daily, but I also realize I have been forgiven, which is the reason why Jesus came and did what he did for us, right? So I want to do uh, two parts here. The first part, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. The second part, I want to dig into the Word so that we can show what God truly said about the situation. And the question that I have today is a provoking one for all of us, myself included. For my first ever sermon, the question is, what is God's purpose for our lives? And you say, wow, that's kind of a big one to try to tackle right there, isn't it? If y'all didn't say it, I said it. And so I said, but I feel like that's what the Lord has on my heart this morning. So let's dig into it. So myself, whenever uh, I asked the Lord to come into my heart in 99, I went on through college. And then a few years after that, I got married and moved through. Uh, I lived up in Augusta. My wife and I, and I put her through the medical college. Her dad told me the day we got married, he said, when she goes, the bills go with her. And I said, I'll take them. Gladly. Gladly. And so I want to walk you up through the 20s. I, I was able to come back and work with our family at Sykes Brothers. Uh, it's, there's a passion there. Whenever you get dirt under your fingernails and yellow iron in your blood, it's hard to get it out. And so Uncle Larry and my dad made a spot and allowed me to come back. So on through my 20s, I worked hard. I'm just, I'm working, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm going. Now, I've also been singing. I started in a choir at uh, United, uh, Black Creek United Methodist Church in Scriven County whenever I was in second grade. And I, I'm going to walk into that story as well. I haven't sang in the church in over three years now. And I, I we'll get into that in just a minute. So I'm just doing right, right? I'm living. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm being a model citizen. I've got my wife. I've got my dogs. We're trying to have kids. And we keep trying to have kids. And, and the opportunity never comes to us. And so we start researching, you know, hey, maybe there's something wrong, something wrong with me. It's easier, right? Just, okay, that's my fault. Well, we found through some complications, 
we work those out. And then at the ripe old age of 30, I had my first son. Well, my wife had our first child, which is Jonah. I can't take that credit. I'm sorry, honey. And so we had Jonah. And let me tell you, if you want to understand purpose, have a child. And all of a sudden you realize an initial meaning of life. God puts that in us, doesn't he? So at the ripe old age of 32, it was uh, October about 15th. It was y'all's anniversary the 16th, mama? The October the 18th was my mom and dad's. It would have been their, it was their 35th, anniversary, 40th anniversary. And we were in the hospital in Vidaia, Georgia. My dad had gotten sick and we didn't know what it was. He had kind of lost his voice, started whispering. And daddy said, I just don't feel right. Well, long and short of it, uh, the doctor came in and he said, uh, Mr. Sykes, everybody was gone. It was just me and my dad. And he said, Mr. Sykes, you have stage four cancer. And my dad, I remember he looked at him, but he didn't see him. He was looking straight through him. And he said, the doctor, after that profound statement, said, do you have any questions? And, and I, I just remember the look on his face. He said, no, I don't have any questions right now. And the doctor said, do you want to see the x-rays? And my dad said, I don't want to see those either. And the doctor looked at me and said, would you like to see them? And I'm sitting here going, is all this real? What does this mean? I'm, I'm not a medical person. My wife is. And I said, okay, where are we going with this? Well, I went into the other room, and the doctor starts showing me these things. And I said, Doc, I don't know what any of this means. What are you telling me? He said, son, your father's got stage four cancer, and he's going to die. And it's going to be quick. And I said, all right. So I left there, and I walked back into the room with my dad. And he said, um, he said son, I don't necessarily know what that doctor told you, but it must not be good because you're pale. And I thought I was doing good, keeping my composure, right? And I said, I said, Daddy, it's not good. It's not good. And uh, two or three weeks later, he and my mother and my big sister, Sandy, they, they go out to Houston Clinic to go see if there's some help. They drive all the way out to Houston, Texas, only to hear the doctors say, there's nothing we can do for you. You've got six months to a year. And so then they, they came home. And so my dad... I watched a man who had worked every day at a nuclear plant my entire life growing up to coming over to Sykes Brothers and dedicating that same passion and energy into Sykes Brothers every day, except for Sundays. We always went to church on Sundays. And about uh, the end of November, so now we're a month into this guillotine, as you will, my dad and I are sitting at his house, and, and he's just talking. And my father and I, my father and I had a really great relationship, and he was very cynical with me. And whenever I, I say this statement, I want to lay it out there that what he meant was, I won't be here anymore. Where do you see yourself at, really? And my father looked at me and he said, "Son, what are you gonna do when you grow up?" And I was sitting there, and I was like, "Man, do I lie to my daddy?" Or do I tell him what's really on my heart? And I said, I'm going to tell him what's really in my heart because I really want him to know. And I said, Daddy, I'm going to get into politics. <laughs> and I'll never forget. 
he was laying in his, in his recliner. He leaned up, put the foot rest down, and looked over at me and said, what would you do that for? <laughs> and I said, Dad, I have a purpose, and my purpose is to serve people. And whenever you're in politics, you do get the opportunity to serve the most people at one time. And that's what lit my fire. Two months later, on uh, January 30th, 2012, which ironically the seventh year will be in 10 days from now, we buried my father. He made it three months instead of six to 12. That was the last conversation of life that my father and I ever had with each other. And so the year after was tough. Uh, Uncle Larry and I looked at each other and said, do you want to do this? And I said, I don't know anything else to do, Uncle. And he said, let's go. And Uncle Larry brought me in. I had, I had called him my work daddy before my father was ever sick and before my father had ever passed away. Uncle Larry had been nurturing me since I was 14. But Uncle Larry said, come on. And he took me in as a son. And I will forever be grateful for that. And we took off with the Lord. That same year, we jumped on the largest job we'd ever jumped on in our history. Sorry about that, Uncle. Uh, <laughs> that was my fault. And uh, we continued to go, but I got involved with um, one of our highway contractors associations. And I wound up in Atlanta a lot that year, the second year after my father had passed away. And during that year, I told some people, I said, they were, everybody's talking about, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Everybody, we're going around a round table. And I said, I'm going to get into politics. Well, that fed another group to two years later, I got a phone call on a Thursday night and said, y'all senator in your area announced his retirement yesterday. Would you like to run for that? And so a few weeks later, after talking with a lot of people, I said, I better not jump on that horse yet. Don't, I don't know what that's all about. And uh, I, I ran locally. And that's whenever I became chairman of Toombs County Board of Commissioners. And so the first year, this is the beginning of my third year. The first year, I come out and I hit the ground running. I know, I know one speed, and that's wide open till I fall out. It's just the way I live. It's the way I do it. And I'm, I'm going everywhere. I'm all over the state. They're teaching me. I'm learning how to be the greatest commissioner you could possibly be. But during that year, I began to feel, at the end of the day, tired in my voice. And I couldn't explain it. I had already uh, stopped singing in church because I couldn't hold up. I could sing about a half of a song, and then my voice would go scratchy. As I'd lay down at night to read to my children, it felt like there was a weight on my Adam's apple. That's the best way I know how to describe it. And I said, boy, something's wrong, something's wrong. And I kept talking with Brandy, and I said, what in the world is this? And she said, I, I really don't know. So by September, I had um, completely lost my voice to where I sounded like I had laryngitis. It's the best way I know how to describe it. And, and I'm just, it's painful to talk. So I go to the doctor. They run a light down my throat. If you've ever uh, experienced that, that's exciting in itself. They... <laughs> I said, are you going to knock me out for this, Doc? He said, no, we'll just use a little, little numbing cream. And I'm like, really? That thing's about that long, and they go in. And uh, so he comes back, and he said, you know, I really don't see anything, a little swelling. And I said, okay, I'm going to send you over to a, a speech pathologist, and they'll tell you what to do. So they, 
I go there, and they put me on two-week voice silence. Not a word. 14 days. And I said, that don't sound bad. 14 days, what's, that's nothing. And about three hours into it, I was like, I'm going to jump off of a roof as soon as I find one. It was the most profound experience of my life. Just imagine not being able to tell anybody anything, where be it good or where be it bad. You can't tell your wife you love her. You can't look at your kids and say, don't do that. Especially if you have three of them and they're doing something that need to be told, don't do that. But the goal was to get my voice back. So I did that for two weeks. And I did a lot of listening. And it's amazing. You hear things better. You understand things more clear. And so two weeks came and went. And uh, I went back. And she said, talk. And I'm like, here it comes. It's going to be perfect. And I began to speak again, and it sounded just like it did before. I said, Lord, help me. And so now you start thinking the worst. My voice sounded just like my dad did whenever he went into the hospital. And I said, Lord, have I got something here that I don't know about? And I asked my wife, I'm still healthy as a horse, feeling good. And I said, you don't reckon I have cancer or something, do you? And she said, no, no. So I go back. I go to another doctor. Excuse me. I go to Birmingham, Alabama. They run a light down my throat, and there's a polyp in there on my vocal folds. And so whenever your folds touch, it has to be a smooth surface to let a nice sound out. Mine had basically a big bump on it, and so that's why I couldn't speak anymore. So they had to do surgery. Well, we did surgery on my dad's birthday a year ago next month, uh, Valentine's Day. My daddy was a sweetheart from the beginning till the end. But they, they did a surgery on Valentine's Day, and I couldn't talk for two weeks again. And so I'm like, Lord, help me, help me. As y'all can tell, I enjoy speaking. And um, during that time is whenever the Lord began to speak to me. And the Lord said, I want you to understand your voice is a limited resource. What are you going to use it for? Are you going to use it for yourself? Are you going to use it for others? Are you going to use it to share my word? And after the first 10 days, they said I could speak 10 words per hour. And I had been thinking for 10 days again, and I said, what are my 10 words? And I said, I, I got it. I'll tell my family I love them three times because that was the most important thing that I wanted to express to my family. I love you. Nothing else really mattered at that time. And God began to work on me like he had never worked on me before because I had to stop and realize that he was working on me like he had never worked on me before. So then three or four months passed. This is last year. Three or four months go by. I'm building my voice back up, building up, building up. During this whole time, I'm still chairing of a board of commissioners who leads the meetings every month. And so I, I had to turn that over and just sit there. And I was like, Lord, what, why am I walking through this? What is it? I thought we had a plan. I thought we had a plan. And he was like, yeah, I have a plan. It's just not your plan. And so the Lord has taken me through a lot. A lot to make me who I am. A lot to make me realize that three words are the most profound words that you may ever utter to others in life. 
And they're really the only words that really matter. I said, Lord, I'll use my voice for good. And I'll use it only for good. If this is a limited resource, which, ladies and gentlemen, it is. So with that, I've been asked to speak my first ever sermon. And I'm extremely excited. So to use the voice for the will of the Lord is what I told you at the beginning. What is God's purpose for our lives? If you would, open up your Bibles. Turn to Micah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. Now, as I told you all, I am not a preacher. I've got a lot of writing here. I met up with my preacher who has a Ph.D. And he was extremely intelligent. So I said, preacher, help me out with this. And he did. Micah 6, verse 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn of my, for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. Here's where it gets super important. Everyone listen to this. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So the Lord's laid it out for us, hadn't he? So let's look at this. Now, Micah was a prophet from Morseth, which is about 20 to 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's not ironic that I'm here from Lyons, Georgia today, which is about 20 to 25 miles southwest of Metter. He prophesied during the 8th century, and his contemporaries were Hosea and Isaiah. He was writing to God's people of Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdoms, to warn them that judgment was coming and to offer pardon to all who repented. The theme throughout Micah is of judgment and forgiveness. What Micah makes clear is that God hates unkindness, idolatry, injustice, and empty rituals, things that God still hates today. We pick up where Micah is telling us what God considers good and what he reveals that God requires us to do his will. And what is God's will for us? Here it is. God requires and delights in faith that produces justice, loves kindness, and walks humbly with him. Now, whenever Uncle Larry asked me to come do this, I said, wow, I sure don't want to do that. That that requires a lot to get up and talk in front of people. I said, but I'll do the best thing I know to do. If I can't imitate Michael Guido, I'll listen to a bunch of Billy Graham tapes and speak like him. So here's my best Billy Graham I got. Our Father, who art in heaven? Is that a pretty good start? (laughs) Let's go over to do justice. Following Micah's orders of things, let's take a look at justice. God does not want us to just think about justice or wish for justice or want justice. That clearly is not enough. We are told to do justice. it's It's an action. It's a verb. It's not something we do on occasion, but something we live out. Part of the fabric of who we are, doing justice. I thought about Judge Judy whenever I was reading this. Bringing right to the wrong, you know? In our court systems, we've got Justatina. 
And this is an old Greek lady. You know, if you've ever been in the court, you'll see her. She's holding way scales and a sword. It's the way we relate to it today. Micah's understanding is more than rules for the smooth ordering of society or even making sure that everything is fair. Micah is talking about a justice that is personal to God because it is from God. It's God's justice. God's justice reveals what is in the heart of God. We stay a long ways from his heart often, don't we? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now let's look at the second point, to love kindness. We can't do justice without loving kindness. Would you agree with that? In Micah's second requirement, the Hebrew words from 2,700 years ago were, little, were a little difficult for scholars to break down because of the difference between the Hebrew word for kindness versus the English word for kindness. The word kindness shows God's unconditional love for us that is displayed through grace. Mercy and kindness all combined in one. What is important here is that Micah urges us towards a significant kind of love, a love that is a way of life. This kind of love reflects God's commitment to love. Our God is merciful and kind and sticks with us every step of the way through every circumstance in our lives. That story I told you guys about my father dying. God was there. He was there. When the wheels stay on the cart, when he knows you're not strong enough to guide the cart, that's whenever you know God is there. The footprint's in the sand, right? So that's what is required of us, to love kindness. And let's look at the third, and this is the hardest one today in our society, to walk humbly with our God. How do we do that in this culture that puts a high value in having it all? Being it all, climbing the ladder of success, and knowing the right people. We see it on American Idol. Now we've got American Ninja Warrior. He's bad. Y'all watch out for him. Your shark tanks, your trophies, the things that make us great in the eyes of man. Sometimes it's hard to do that and be humble. Being able to speak and then that being taken away. You talk about a humbling experience. Walk in that. <laughs> we live in a culture that screams, it's all about me. How many of you remember having those kids whenever they're two and three and they're hollering because they want whatever it is that they want? And even if it wasn't theirs and they took it before the other kid got it, it's theirs, right? It's something else, but it's human nature. But remember Paul's words, if you would turn with me in Romans 12, verse 2. Let me know when you get it. I'd love to hear an amen. Amen. A couple of more and we'll go on with it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Aren't we created in the image of God? Aren't we special? 
And this is where humility gets tricky. Our only true value comes from the Creator. It's never about how great I am, but about how great He is. No matter how far we go, where be it myself personally as an elected official, a football player, Ryan, I see you. Where'd you go? Man, this man right here's won a couple of two. He's been to three national championships, won two of them. I mean, you don't get any better. The man's going pro. God had another plan in his life. You didn't think I'd remember all that, did you? <laughs> he was great. I remember it. That's how we are in ourselves. Let's look over in Psalms 8, verses 3 through 5. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Do y'all remember that song? It'd go, who am I that you are mindful of me? You remember that? It's the truth. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. That's God's love for us. Our value is in being his. Humility is the simple truth about ourselves. But the truly humble glance away quickly for their focus is not on humility, but on God. How do we walk in it? Here's the magic. We embrace Christ. We embrace who we are in Christ. There is an intentionality and attentiveness that we need to practice in our day-to-day lives, acknowledging God in everything. And I think when we do that, it becomes a part of who we are. Today you'll have an opportunity to come down here and get right. I've seen a lot of you people in here for a long time, so I know that there's a tremendous amount of people in here who are saved. But if you're not, today is a day that you may get saved. Because to live the way God asks us to live and is explained to us in Micah, it takes intentionality through being saved. You have to ask him to come into your heart. Admit that you're a sinner. Be willing to take up your cross and walk with him through the hard times, and he will give you the good times. Let's close our eyes. I'd like to sing a verse for the first time in three years, personally. And uh, let's pray. Turn your hearts over to God and listen to him. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. I can feel the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. And surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. And surely 
the presence of the Lord is in this place. Our Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to come here this morning. Thank you so much for the hearts of the people who have to listen to a lowly man as myself, Father God, to come try to teach them about you. I thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given me for another chance on life, for another chance to be able to speak, for another chance to do what you asked me to do and what you ask of others to do. Spread love. Jesus is love. You were love. You are love. You will always be love. God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever and ever. Amen. Father God, I love you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.